0: Welcome to the Daily Standard podcast. It is December eleventh, two thousand eighteen. I had to look at that twice. I'm uh, I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Greg Easterbrook, whose Tuesday morning quarterback piece is up at the Weekly Standard. Good to talk with you again, Greg. Good to be here, Charlie. Yeah, I've been traveling around, so we ha- we haven't really connected. But uh, this seems like a very very uh, timely a timely week to uh, to talk about all kinds of stuff, including I I, I want to start off with the Miami miracle, which as you point out, people are going to be looking at that videotape for years. And I, and I have to admit that, that it is an extraordinary, it, it, it's extraordinary just to keep watching it over and over and over again, because I think I've been watching football for well, well over, you know, 40, 50 years. And I don't think I've ever seen a hook and ladder that actually succeeded before. So, so Greg breakdown, down what the Miami miracle was, was all about and what we should be looking at.
1: Well, I'll I'll, I'll tell you, people are going to be watching that play for years. I say in the for centuries, I think centuries from now, two things will happen. One is that the weekly standard will acquire the New York times in a hostile takeover. And the second is that people will still be watching this play. Um, the, the Patriots were set, everybody's complaining about Bill Belgic having made an extremely rare coaching error in the mm-hmm. final play. The Patriots were set to expect a Hail Mary thrown directly into the end zone. And the defense against a Hail Mary is you put five guys in the end zone so somebody knocks it down. They have five guys in the end zone. That made the, the field space between the Dolphins and the Patriots five guys in the end zone. There was a lot of opening there. So they they threw the the dolphins threw the classic hook and lateral play, which you often see erroneously described as the hook and ladder play.
0: Which I just did,
1: yeah. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to get, get a that, new That's okay. But, Shoots and ladders is a game for children. Hook and lateral is the play in football. So the receiver receives it. He flips it back to another guy. The other guy runs around. And then the guy who's supposed to end up with the ball, which is in this case, the, the Miami's fastest player, Kenyon Drake, in fact, ends up with the ball. And he manages to outrun rob gronkowski to the end zone it's a beautiful play anybody would think well gee they got 61 yards in 11 seconds or whatever it was why don't people use this play all the time and the answer is because all the time there's not five guys back on the end zone all the time these laterals would have been interrupted uh but i'll give you two other points on this play one is watch again the miami new england play which gave which As an AFC East long-suffering fan of a team other than the Patriots gave me great joy. Don't look at the ball. Look at the Patriots defenders. After the first lateral, most of them just start standing there. They think the game is over. The play has gone on too long, and they Mm -hmm. think the game is over, and they kind of give up on it. And then Google Trinity of Texas versus Millsaps, a Division Three game that happened about a dozen years ago, that is the greatest play in football history. They're, the Trinity of Texas runs this same basic play in the same basic situation, except it completes 15 laterals before the touchdown. And you got to watch that play. Don't look at the ball. Look at what the defenders are doing. It's very entertaining.
0: So it, w- was it a mistake to play that as, uh, the, the defense to play that as a hail Mary? I mean, there've been some critics who say, look, uh, it was, just, it was too far. They, sh- they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have assumed it was going to be a hail Mary. I mean, obviously second guessing is, uh, is, uh, is the new national sport, but, uh, should, should, should Rob Gronkowski have been on the field for that play?
1: Well, obviously, it was a mistake because the Patriots' strategy didn't work. And What are the odds of this play being successful for Miami? The odds are very low. They had one play to go 61 yards, and chances are that, that no matter what New England did, that Miami wouldn't have scored. They just they executed the play brilliantly, but it did certainly help that the Patriots were in the wrong defense. And like I say, really rare Bill Belichick coaching error.
0: So we're at the point now where the playoff situation seems to be getting a little bit clearer. So can you give us a little bit of a breakdown on how you you see that uh, that lining up?
1: Well, uh, in the AFC, the Chiefs continue to look really good. And they have the inside track for home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And is that a good thing? If you're a Chiefs fan, maybe not. The Chiefs are on ace, have lost six consecutive home playoff games. Mm-hmm a lot of uh, in in all sports but especially in football if you're a good team the main thing you're trying to accomplish during the regular season is to get a home playoff game the chiefs six straight times that the chiefs have accomplished that they've blown the game so you know Patrick Mahomes is a is a phenom he seems to play unconscious which is a good thing in, in athletic terms. Maybe he won't care about that, but I, I think as the playoffs approach, people are going to start to say, "Oh, the Chiefs always joke. They're going to choke again." We'll we'll see what happens. Over over in the NFC, boy, if the NFC title game is the Rams versus the Saints, isn't that going to be a fun game?
0: Yeah, well, you point out the 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 Rams, which uh, was were uncharacteristically ineffective uh, against against Chicago. That they're not likely to play outside in the cold for the rest of the uh, rest of the season.
1: Yeah, it seems almost out of the question. Look at their schedule. All of their remaining regular season games are warm weather games. They will certainly open the playoffs at home in warm weather. Uh, And if they go on the road for this for their second round, they're likely to get a bye in the first round. Open at home in the second round. If they go on the road. for the NFC title game, it's likely to be that they'll go to New Orleans, which is a dome stadium. And then, of course, the, the Super Bowl this year is in a dome stadium. So it's, it, you, you can't be certain, but it seems highly uh, improbable that the Rams will have to play in cold weather again this year.
0: Okay, for longtime readers of uh, the Tuesday morning quarterbacks, they know that uh, the, the column deals with uh, primarily with football, but with a lot of other things as well, including something that has uh, it's been, been um, you know, <laughs> I've noticed it a lot um, on the, on the Beeb, the BBC. Quaint English towns are the headquarters of Murder Incorporated. Now, my li- my wife loves British murder mysteries, and every once in a while, I will watch with her. And I'm always struck, particularly if we start binging and watch, you know, several in a row, you know, how these little towns seem to be stacking up massive body counts, and and it's like, okay. I understand it's the willing suspension of disbelief, but you you, you make the point that, that if you watch primetime serials, violent crime is just exploding. You know, and affluent whites are the primary victims. The cops always get their man, uh, none of which, of course, is, is, is true. But you can sort of understand why a lot of Americans watching television buy the argument about American carnage.
1: Oh, I, I think this is a big part, part of the psychology of the Trump victory. And in fact, I spend a chapter on this in my new book, It's Better Than It Looks. Um, Trump is a television, the most television focused president ever, both as a person, the amount of TV he watches per day is, is, is should be mind numbing. Maybe uh, it certainly ought to be. And, and his voter base at a very high percentage of hardcore TV watchers. So what do you see on TV in primetime on the on the main network, ABC, NBC, CBS, dramas, police dramas are the most popular thing if you look up total number of viewers, total number of shows. And all those shows drastically exaggerate the occurrence of violent crime. They drastically exaggerate the likelihood that an affluent white will be the victim. And to top off the troika of being wrong about everything, they also have the cops being super efficient Avengers who always get their man in the end. And. That's the psychology that Trump was playing to when he talked constantly about the increase in crime in American cities in 2016, totally not true. And not true in 2017, the FBI's uniform crime statistics for 17 came out two weeks ago and it shows continuing decline in violent crime. But television convinces you this is true. And to to get back to how you started the point, Charlie, the BBC, that very classy nose in the air organization, they do the same thing relentlessly exaggerate the likelihood that a white middle class or upper class Britain will be killed by violence and it feeds into Brexit sentiment.
0: You know, I, I haven't watched all of these shows, but it is sort of a, an illustration of all of this. Uh, you know, Hinterlands, a crime show that depicts Wales as the most dangerous place on earth with killers stalking every alley and undertakers working overtime. Violent death is a constant... Uh, on hinterlands, even though actual Wales has a grand total of thirty murders uh, a year, and then Longmire, which is a very uh, quite popular, it's been on for six years. You know, depicts uh, uh, a small county sheriff in present-day Wyoming, where apparently there are dozens of murders in the just tiny corner of a sparsely populated state, and law enforcement officers are massacred at an incredible rate, which of course has no relationship to reality in any way whatsoever. But,
1: Not, yeah. none. and Longwire was a classy show it started on A&E it went to Netflix, it was praised by critics it was high production values and it was science fiction in terms of the number of murders it depicted versus actual Wyoming where Longwire was sat. you watch these murder mystery shows on BBC which I gotta say Charlie, my wife is totally addicted to too mm-hmm. and you, you don't want to be a sweet little old lady in a charming seaside village in England because you're going to get popped off
0: <laughs> now, I I'm 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 hesitant to uh, to to add to uh, the commentary about Russia and the the relationship between Russia and the administration but you you have a great section in this uh, column those who don't know diplomatic history are doomed to repeat it and uh, you know you starting off with the uh, tw- uh, 2014 Crimea crisis uh, where Russia went into uh, Ukraine um and our, you know, the the, the Obama administration uh, completely, you know, failed to uh, stand up against that or, or or prevent that. But what you're pointing out is that the cycle is repeating itself. That with our short attention spans and or, or narrow focus, what's happening in Russia uh, is, you know, we're we're we're, we're clearly, um, if, if if Obama failed, we're just doing it all over again.
1: Yes, uh, there are all these constant questions, is endlessly in the news about Trump. You go back and look in 2014, the year that Russia essentially annexed Crimea and sort of tried to invade Ukraine. The Obama administration did extremely poorly with that, and including now the liberal media's hero, John Brennan, who was then the CIA director. Very major American intelligence failure that we didn't know that was coming. We didn't understand what was happening. But set those things aside. One thing the Russians did in 2014 and are now doing again in the fall of this year is that they violated the Paris Declaration of 1856. And now I know even your very well-educated listeners are going to say, what is the Paris Declaration of 1856? It's an international treaty, which Russia is a signatory to, signed after the Crimean War of the 19th century, that governs ways in which ships can blockade civilian ports. Russia violated it in 14, they're violating it again right now in 2018. And if United States diplomats and the United States and the Western diplomatic press corps is even aware of the existence of this agreement. I haven't seen any reference to it anywhere. And I know you're going to say, well, you know, Paris Declaration of 1856, not exactly a household word of the world word, of course not. But if you look at the history of communist Russia and the current government is, I think, more or less communist, it's a a flavor of communism. The one thing that's always kind of pulled their chain is the international agreements that they sign they've always been very touchy of saying about saying we do we do abide by the geneva conventions the helsinki accords of 1975 had a huge influence on internal russian culture because something in the soviet russian mindset says that if we sign a treaty we have to abide by it and they've signed this treaty about the the about not blockading civilian ports and they're ignoring it and they get away with it Because Obama said nothing. Trump says nothing. The Western diplomatic press corps says
0: nothing. So you're right. If I were the United States Navy, I would worry the consecutive presidents have not seemed to care about international rules regarding freedom of navigation. Treaties are not just formalities. So why should the Navy worry about that?
1: Well, if, you, if you're listening to me make this point, you may say, well, Greg, who cares about access to the Sea as of Azov? That doesn't affect the United States Navy, and, it, and i got to say, it, it doesn't. But for the United States Navy, freedom of navigation is an essential point. And one of the reasons that the post-war order has been mainly positive and I can tell you, I know there's a major author working on a book on this subject right now. Hmm, that would be me. One of the reasons one of the reasons that the post war order has mainly been positive is that the US Navy, which has total hegemony over the world's main oceans, the blue water part of the water of the world, has enforced freedom of navigation for almost everybody. For the U.S. Navy, it's really important that rules be enforced, and if you want to sail somewhere and you're not firing a cannon, you're allowed to do it. The Russians are stopping people, uh, the the nations of the Black Sea region from doing that. They stopped them in 14, they're stopping Mm -hmm. them now, and the White House not only doesn't seem to care. Why does it even seem to know that it's an issue? And I guarantee the United States Navy
0: knows it's an issue. But, uh I want to talk about uh, something you wrote about the NFL and uh, pot, uh, since uh, the, the whole issue of marijuana has become extraordinary. I, I don't know whether you listen much to uh, Sirius XM radio, uh, but I'm, it just blows my mind every time an ad comes on for another one of these summits involving marijuana where they're talking about the incredible investment opportunities <laughs> and the name that they, and the name they always invoke is former Speaker John Boehner. John Boehner, you know, will be appearing at this uh, new marijuana. So I, I want to talk about that in a moment. But first, today's Daily Standard podcast is brought to you by RX Bar. Look, RX Bar set out to create a new kind of protein bar with a few simple, clean ingredients, where every ingredient serves a purpose. They believe in the power of transparency, so they let the core ingredients do all the talking, with all of them listed on the front of the packaging you're likely to recognize rx bar at the shelf they're the ones who have egg whites for protein dates to bind, nuts for texture and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate real fruit and spices like sea salt or cinnamon they come in 14 delicious flavors they're gluten-free soy-free dairy-free there's just no guilt here no artificial flavors no artificial colors preservatives or fillers and they are just great for a lot of different occasions. Breakfast on the go. And I use them I, when i when I travel, and I've mentioned this before, I put them in the bag because, you no, know, if you're trapped on an airplane and uh, the only thing they're going to give you is this tiny, tiny little bag of pretzels, you're going to be really glad to have an RX bar around. So snacks at the office, uh, uh, you can toss it in your backpack for a bike ride or a hike. Uh, great snacks uh, before or after workouts. And now RX bar has debuted an RX nut butter, which contains a few simple and similar ingredients like egg whites, fruits, and nuts. And each single-serving packet contains uh, creamy nut butter with 9 grams of high-quality protein. Uh, look, here's a special offer for listeners to the Daily Standard Podcast. For 25% off your first order of the best-seller variety pack, visit rxbar.com standard and enter promo code standard at checkout. And that's valid in the U.S. only and for a limited time. Okay, Greg asks, uh, Easterbrook, you wrote a piece, a very provocative piece last week for the Weekly Standard, uh, suggesting that the NFL should lift its ban on the use of marijuana as a painkiller. A lot of folks will go, wow, that would be a rather dramatic shift. Uh, Doesn't that open the door to a lot of other possible abuses?
1: Well, as marijuana becomes increasingly legalized across the country, let's not be let's not be naive. There are going to be abuses. Marijuana is not some perfect substance that has no side effects. The more people use it, the more. Problems that will be caused. But what are the what are the problems caused by marijuana compared to the problems caused by narcotic painkillers? The overdose problem with narcotic painkillers has become an epidemic in American society. We're now in the fourth year of more painkiller overdose deaths than homicides in the United States. Uh, the, the the NFL itself has a lot more of a narcotics problem than they're willing to let on NFL te- football is a painful sport even when you play it properly even it all goes well it hurts to play football NFL teams are large consumers of opioid painkillers and a lot of the players and including the including the players association the, the players union would prefer that players have a legal option to smoke marijuana instead and you may think well these hardcore conservatives who run the NFL they are never going to allow the players to smoke weed but they're not hardcore conservatives are the most subsidized billionaires in the entire world. So if you could set a good example by saying, here are these big, strong athletes, instead of popping a narcotic or smoking grass, it's not going to work for everybody. Some of them will still need the narcotics, but you will there will be a positive shift of emphasis away from narcotics towards something that's not perfect, but it is a lot less harmful than Oxy is. And I, and I can give you the reason why Oxy is still... Mm-hmm it's still good for society if you want but we need to use a lot less of it than we do and the NFL is a leader and wants to be a leader institution it could help light the way
0: now, are you are you are you talking specifically about uh, marijuana that would be uh, administered still under medical supervision? Because in theory, obviously, you're you're not dealing with these other painkillers. You're not dealing with these other painkillers uh, just uh, you know off off the shelf for NFL players. So, do you envision that you would still have uh, doctors needing to write prescriptions and sign off on on this use of uh, of pot as painkillers?
1: I think that actually be a good way to do it. There's all these questions about neurological health of NFL players, but in the main, NFL players get the best health care of anybody in the country. Basically, every single one of them is examined by a doctor every single day, and when 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 you have a a good constant relationship with a skilled physician, let the physician make the decisions about what doses you take and when you take them. So I would be, and and then. If nothing else, you get a better study result, you see what happens, maybe we'll find out that marijuana actually isn't that good as a replacement for narcotic painkillers. But if it was done under a semi-supervised setting, and if you could get the NFL to reveal its painkiller data use, which I've been trying to do for years, so far they won't reveal it, uh, maybe you could find out something in a semi-controlled way about the usefulness of marijuana as opposed to oxy and similar substances.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know what the time frame is, but I, when I was reading your piece, I, my reaction was uh, inevitably this will happen at some point because we're really in the middle. Of this vast new social medical experiment involving marijuana. I mean, when you have states like California, when you have Canada, when you have uh, Colorado, and I'm just giving you, a, you know, partial list of you know states that have completely legalized marijuana. It is going to become part of the fabric of society in the culture in a way that is somewhat unpredictable how it's happening, but it seems inevitable. It just seems like a few years from now we will look on the ban on marijuana the way we looked at uh, at, at prohibition. Uh, for for better or or for worse, um, but it is going to. Um, I, I think it's, it's inevitable that the the point you're making um, has to be confronted, which is that look, if you're going to use painkillers, why would you specifically single out this is the one you Pam can, absolutely cannot look at when we know the the downsides of the other of the other prescription painkillers. Greg Easterbrook, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it very much. The whole Tuesday morning quarterback column is up at the Weekly Standard right now. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow and we will do this all over again.